For Tuesday, July 28th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the head of the American Academy of Pediatrics says schools should pay close attention to local spread of coronavirus as they consider opening for in-person learning. I think we have to have our community spread down lower than it is right now. I think we have to have know that the incidence of COVID-19 in Georgia is going down, or at least in your community, is going down rather than up. Dr. Sarah Goza joins me to discuss the many Atlanta-area school districts that have decided to start the year virtually and what it will take to eventually start in-person classes. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. A number of Metro Atlanta school districts have decided to start the year virtually because of the spread of the coronavirus. Many hope to get kids back into classrooms later this summer. In-person learning should be the goal of every district, says Dr. Sarah Goza. She's president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. But she says that needs to be done safely. And she joins me now for a look at what it will take to make that happen. Dr. Goza, thanks for talking with me. Always happy to talk. So I want to start by talking about what really does seem to be the biggest story right now with the coronavirus. What are schools going to do as we approach what is normally the start of the school year? Many of Georgia's largest districts have decided in the last few weeks to actually start the year virtually based on the amount of COVID-19 that we have spreading here in this region. Do you think that that's the right thing to do to start the year online? The American Academy of Pediatrics guidance says that the goal should be for children to be in-person school when it is safe and when the spread of COVID-19 in the community is at a level that would make it safe. We know that children do better when they're in school. They learn more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. They get social, emotional, and behavioral benefits from it. They get good meals there. They get exercise They have people looking out for mental health issues with them as well as school issues as well. But we also recognize that COVID-19 remains a very real active threat to communities and that the decisions on when you open schools really have to be based with public health and the school systems working together to decide when's the right time to open that school building. 
you are here in, in, in Metro Atlanta. So thinking about the kind of prevalence that we see of this disease in the community, I'm thinking districts like Gwinnett, Fulton, DeKalb, really big districts. Are they making the right decision to not start in person? I think that's really according to what they can do within their own school buildings, as well as what's going on in each community. Even here in Georgia, there are other communities that may have other ways to get kids into school with physical distancing and wearing masks and all of those things. So I think each school has to really work with their public health departments that are there with them and make those decisions. It's really hard for me to say if a school system and a public health system think that it's better to do online school, then that's probably the right thing to do. That gets me thinking, too, these districts that have said they're going to start the school year this way have set kind of a goal for when they want to be back in school in person. Talk to me about how you think schools should actually make that call. What data should they be looking at? What statistics should they be looking for to say this is safe for us to resume in-person classes? I think we have to have our community spread down lower than it is right now. I think that's something the public health departments can work with the schools on as to what that threshold would be. I don't know that there's one set out there, but I think we have to have know that the incidence of COVID-19 in Georgia is going down, or at least in your community is going down rather than up to make it sure that it's safe for kids to get back in school. And we also need our schools to be equipped to do the things that we know we need to do, even when that prevalence is lower, is we have to have physical distancing in the schools. We need for students to be able to wear masks in school. We need to be able to have so that children can even learn outside if the weather's nice to be outside instead of inside. And then also um, for teachers to be safe. You know, what do we need in in PPE for teachers to be safe? What do we need in cleaning supplies that the schools may not have access to right now so that they can clean? We need a plan. They need to have plans of what they're going to do if somebody does come down with COVID in their school and not if, it's actually when probably someone comes down with COVID in their school. Really, science should drive the decision-making on safely reopening schools and public health agencies and the school systems can really make those decisions together. I wonder what you make of something very specific that happened last week. The White House Press Secretary, Kaylee McEnany, said science should not stand in the way of schools reopening. What do you think of that specific comment? And and what do you think of that kind of way of thinking about this, that students should be back in school kind of regardless of what science is saying? We as pediatricians are always going to stand on the science and the data. That's for sure that we need the science and we need the data to make sure that we can get our children back in school safely, not only for them, but for the teachers and the staff that will be there with them, because that is just critical. And we want to be able to get them back in school and hopefully have a very good chance of them staying in-person school once we do open. And so that is really based on science and data. What do you make about that kind of specific messaging coming from the White House, though? You know, I, I'm not sure exactly what, what was said there. I actually did not hear that. So I, I don't know that I should comment on that. But we will stand behind our comment that science and data should rule the day of, as to how we reopen schools. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control released a set of guidelines for how they think students should safely return to school, really encouraging the return of, of kids to school. This came after the agency had earlier in the summer released guidelines that the president critiqued as, as being too harsh. What do you make of the CDC's guidelines for getting kids back in school? Do they send the right message that science should really dictate these decisions? The CDC has the same guidance a lot in a lot of their guidance that we do about the physical distancing, wearing masks, making sure that we have what we need in the schools 
for the teachers to be able to maintain that physical distance, for the school systems to clean the school rooms, to have a plan in place if someone comes into school and becomes sick, to get them isolated and get them home, and also to do pre-screening before they come into school. So I, I, the guidelines, I think, are very similar to what the academy has put out. And so I truly believe if schools could do all of those things, we could get community spread down to a reasonable level then children could go safely back to school, which is what most parents want, is to have their children back in school. So it's going to take some doing on the part of the communities to get the spread down and also funding for the schools to be able to do what they need to do to make that physical distancing happen to cohort groups of children so that we're not exposing people to the whole school and for keeping the schools clean. This is a a disease and a virus that we've only known about for, you know, about six or seven months now. As a doctor, do you feel like we know enough about this virus, how it's transmitted, um, who it really is going to affect? Do we know enough about this disease to make intelligent decisions about something as potentially impactful as sending kids back to schools? I think we have to go with what we know right now, and we are learning stuff every day. This information changes very quickly and very rapidly as more data comes to light as to what happens with our children and with adults with this disease. And so I think the guidance we have right now is based on what we know about the disease and what we know about the benefits of school for children. That could change if information changes, and we do reevaluate our guidance at least every 30 days, if not sooner, if new information comes out sooner and so stay tuned. You know, we, we may change our guidance as we learn more about this disease. You mentioned this work that needs to be done in the community, in schools to reach this ideal goal of getting kids back in person. Were there opportunities missed over the summer to start planning sooner for the reality that we're facing right now, a month away in schools, they're really still kind of deciding what they're doing here. Was there enough attention paid to this issue early on during the summer when work could have been started to actually make in-person school a reality? I truly believe just what you said. We learn more and more about this disease as we go along. And just like I said, stay tuned. I think that we all really were hoping that we would see a decrease of this disease and that we would be able to open schools come fall. And so I think we're doing what we can now, and there's no point in looking backwards at this. We need to move forward. We need to see what we can do now to do the best we can to get students back into in-person school as safely as we can and as quickly as we can. And if we think about the public policy side of things, what should be done now to make this a reality? I think we have to get funding to our schools so that they can figure out how to do physical distancing so they can have the personal protective equipment, the masks for students and for faculty, so we can have distancing on school buses, all of those things. So we have to, number one, get funding for our schools to be able to do these things. We also need to be working on decreasing our community spread. Just like we've said, wear your mask, physical distance, and stay at home if you can. Because that's really what's going to cut the spread in the community so that our children can get back to school where they need to be. And that's really on the parents to do that, the adults in the the communities to do that. So we can do what we need to do to prioritize our children and their education. On the goal that everyone seems to agree about, that it is the most ideal situation for kids to be back in school with appropriate measures, assuming that it's safe for them to do so. Do you feel like the second part of that idea that the assuming that it's safe for them to do so has kind of been lost here 
in this conversation? I think that that's in the minds of all educators as they look to open their schools, is that they want to make sure it's safe for the students and for the faculty and the staff. And so I don't think it's lost. I think it's hard to figure out how to do that without the funding that they need. So I go back to that we need our federal government to give funding to the schools so they can do this. I also think we need to keep working at it. It may not happen overnight. It may be delayed a little bit to be able to get children back in person in school. But we need to make every effort. That should really be our goal and make every effort to make that happen. We also need to make sure that parents realize their children need to be up to date on all their other vaccines before they go back to school. The last thing we need is an outbreak of measles or whooping cough or flu come fall uh, as children are back in school. So we really need to encourage parents to get those flu shots, but to also make sure their children are up to date with their physicals and their and their other vaccines as well. We have seen over the course of this pandemic, to maybe pivot away from schools for a moment, the other kinds of impacts this situation have had on children's health, namely the real decrease in people seeking vaccines for their child. Talk with me about that, what you think kind of the long-term effects are that we could see from what the CDC and other public health agencies have, have noticed, which is a real decrease in childhood vaccinations during this time. So we feel like that the decrease in vaccines is not so much that people are refusing vaccines. It really was a dramatic drop in people going to the pediatrician's office. In March and April, across the country, there was a, probably a 70, 80, almost 90 percent drop in the, in the number of patients going into their pediatrician's offices out of fear because they were told to stay home. So they were doing what they were told and they were not getting to the doctor's offices. That number has started to come back. But pediatrics has been the slowest specialty to rebound with the number of patient cases. Pediatricians, as of, I believe it was um, June, were still down about 40% in the, in the number of patients coming to the office. So it's, we've even started a campaign at the American Academy of Pediatrics called hashtag call your pediatrician, trying to encourage parents to call their pediatrician, get back in for those checkups, get those kids caught up on what they need, sports physicals for the children that need them, vaccines for those children that need them, hearing and vision screens, but also screening children for mental health issues because this virus has been tough. Children have been socially distanced and isolated from friends and family. And so there's a lot of anxiety and depression out there now, too, that we really need to be addressing with all of these children as well. And the schools are also going to have to address that once kids do get back into school. What are your kind of concerns about what this pandemic is really going to do to kids' mental health, one? And two, what advice would you give to parents about how to have these conversations with their children if we want to think about breaking this down maybe between younger kids and maybe kids who are a little bit older, just talking with them about what they're going through? That's a very good question. And, you know, our younger children, the younger kids, even the toddlers and some of the younger kids are really not going to show anxiety and depression in the same ways as your teenagers might. They're going to be more irritable. They're going to be acting out. They're going to be fussy. We've actually seen children who have really become almost scared to see other people other than their family because they've been so, it's been so long since they've been around other people. And so I think, you know, it's time for parents to really start being patient with their children when they're acting out, try to figure out what it is they're acting out about. It's probably not what you think it is. It's probably um, something else. But as the children get older and can understand, talk to them. Say, what do you know about this virus? What bothers you about this virus? And talk to them about those things. And as children get into the older years and the teenage years, you're going to start seeing them become the same thing, irritable, acting out, doing things that you would not expect your child to ever do. And so talk to them and say, what's going on? I know this isn't you. So let's talk about what's really bothering you. 
And then if they really can't get their children to open up or they're concerned that they really are slipping into anxiety or depression, they need to call their pediatrician and talk about it because it's critical to get that addressed quickly and, and you know, and as urgently as you can. Because these kids can really, um, we're starting to see increases in suicide ideation. We're starting to definitely see an increase in anxiety and depression with our, our kids. And so we need to get a handle on it, and parents need to be proactive in dealing with it rather than waiting until it gets to a crisis mode. Are we going to see in this generation of kids here, are they going to be kind of haunted by the effects of this pandemic throughout later stages in in their life? I think that's still to be seen. I think that's how we respond now to this, how we help our children deal with this and, and talk about it and understand what they've gone through. And children are very resilient for the most part. And so I think we have an opportunity here to help our kids get through this and be fine at the other end. But it's going to take some work on our part as well to make sure that that happens. Are there maybe like one or two things that you think we should focus on to make sure that this doesn't have long-term effects? I think that's to try to get back to where children feel like they have some control over their routine, which will take a while to get there. But also just to talk to our children about it's okay not to be okay. If you're struggling with this, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. But it's okay not to be okay. And we need to make sure that they understand that we will get through to the end. We need to be reassuring, make sure that they know that there will be light at the end of this tunnel and that there are opportunities out of this experience to actually become better and to have better things happen. Dr. Sarah Goza is head of the American Academy of Pediatrics and a practicing pediatrician in Fayetteville, Georgia. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.